0: get a friend get informed and get involved it's we are not cattle radio good morning and welcome to we are not cattle radio i am your host jake counts Coming to you live, as I do, and I say live because I just stream my consciousness for one hour. And then we will uh, upload it at some point today, probably around the 6 o'clock uh, hour on Eastern Standard Time. So, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. Once again, thank you for sharing the show. You guys have been doing a really great job, and I do appreciate it. Because what I try to do here is... Um, You know, I had ideas that I wanted to turn this show into a research show and get a little bit more in-depth into the conspiratology of... um the global governance, and I guess that's the best way to put it because nobody can deny that there's global governance because the U.S. now yields itself and also sometimes takes a step back if something's going to violate U.N. protocols. So it makes it very interesting, and, and for those of you that have done the research, they understand the significance of the United Nations, who set it up and all that good stuff, and who donated the uh, the plot of land where it lands and all that stuff. So that's a topic for another time. What I do want to, I guess, discuss is um, the idea of moving back to social commentary because um, I've just found it more successful. I meet reach more people, and I think that the idea of social commentary, uh, especially from a libertarian perspective and in a, a true libertarian perspective, not a fake libertarian perspective. Yes, I'm talking about you, Alex Jones. You cannot be a libertarian that um, that tells half of the ideas that you do. So you're. F- you're a, I guess, nouveau libertarian, if we're going to be throwing terms around, because we say neoconservative and, and neoliberal, so we might as well call them neo-libertarians, which you're, you're really nothing but conservatives, but, you know, with the front of libertarianism and uh, the big L libertarian, so there you go. Well, by the way, I'm, I'm going to repost, uh, I actually posted it on Facebook, but I'm going to repost it on the website. There is a video of Dr. Ron Paul back about 20 years ago, on one of these um, these uh, talk shows in the uh, in the eighties, and I thought it was uh, absolutely fantastic because uh, he basically debunks the entire drug war and the in the drug culture in in about fifteen minutes. But just seeing the vitriol and and how people and this is actually a quote from the from the video. You know what? You can talk about freedom all you want, but if you legalize drugs, that's not freedom. That's um, I can't remember what the the catch was. That's uh, enabling people to do whatever they want and I kind of had to sit there and laugh for a second because isn't isn't that what freedom is? Remember we talk about this a lot on the show, but I think that the the adage needs to be hammered home and the fact that if you look at the history of this country, yes, you know, there is some nefarious somewhat quasi interesting information about the the founding fathers you know they are put up on this pedestal by the constitutionalists and and uh, amongst others you know talking about how oh they wanted equality Yes, yeah, so some of them did, and then some of them were actually shunned, and we never get told about the Anti-Federalists. We never get told about those guys. It's just the, the Federalist Papers, and, and the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, and oh, the Bill of Rights actually didn't come from those people that you're talking about. It came from the Anti-Federalists as a, um, basically a, uh, uh, a caveat for the Declaration of Independence. I mean you had to be you had to have that in the in the Constitution because most of those people understood what the Constitution was. it was um, moving us back from total freedom to yeah, we'll give you a little bit and we're going to have to make some compromises. It's the same argument that goes on year and year and year and year and year and year. you know can we have total freedom or can we um, do we have to take a, do we have to take liberties in order to provide security and a standing army and all those different things so Oh yes, and to all you constitutionalists out there, oh, home, rabid constitutionalists, great! When are we abolishing the army? Oops, forgot about that one, didn't you? Forgot about having a standing army? Oh, see, that's okay now because there's modern times. So we always make these exceptions when we play these word games with ourselves, in order to, I guess, evolve. And that's what we need to do. We do need to evolve because what we're doing now is obviously not working. Letting a bunch of kleptocratic. Um, psychopaths run society it's very very dangerous and just because they own all the media outlets with lots of glitz and glamour and just because they can spin sell, and just because they can play word games doesn't mean that we can't figure it out i figured it out and it just takes time and dedication and and thought and self-evaluation so that's what we're all about here and that's why i guess social commentary from my perspective will Probably do the show a lot better and reach more people and maybe get them thinking on a different path. You don't have to agree with my path. Just question yours. That's all that it's about. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't know anything for, for certain here on this planet. There are very few things that we know for certain. It's kind of like what John Taylor Gatto said. The way that I, um, I find knowledge is that uh, I take something that I know is fall- or fact and, and I question it. And I rip apart my ideology day after day after day. That's what happens to me. That's why my show went from a constitutional libertarian perspective—you know, somebody that wanted minimal slavery—to a full anarchic uh, society, which is obviously the goal from my perspective. But uh, understanding where we are and what we can do, it um, it puts a real pragmatic approach, especially after you have a child, on um, on how you need to approach life. And from my perspective, approaching life in the fact that anything that I can do to buck the system, anything that I can do to change the status quo or get people aware of the status quo, and get people to actually realize that there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that you don't really know about. Like the idea of a black budget to me and the American people not being upset about it is absolutely astonishing. That is... I don't get that. I don't get how your government can take money from you. Um, via taxation, you know, with the threat of violence on the back end, and go off and put it into a coffer and run secret tests and not tell you about it, and then you can make excuses for it, you know, logical excuses. Well, you know, it's government; and they need to do research, and we probably shouldn't have too much oversight of. It. No, 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 no. I think I think that those times are about to be done. I think this idea and this um, this belief in the in the magic that is whether it's religion or uh, government. This idea that uh, humans creating these ideas and propagating them through the society and then reinforcing them through propaganda doesn't make it correct. And I think that we really do need to question. And it's starting to come out in the scientific community where they're starting to question a lot of things. Whether they're questioning climate change, whether they're questioning the actual existence of our reality frame that we live in. I need to get Tom Campbell back on. I actually need to talk to him a little bit more because what I've experienced in my life over the past, I guess, 6 to 8 months has uh, has been a radical transformation for me both uh, psychologically and um and spiritually, I guess. So if we do live in in a simulation, which most physicists would say that you do. So I'm sorry for all of you people out there that that believe that this fleshy body that you're in is totally real and this is reality. Well, I'm so sorry. There is an alternative theory to your theory that maybe, just maybe, that your consciousness is in a simulation in order to do something else. What are we here for? I don't know. Nobody knows that. Great philosophers have asked that for hundreds of years, thousands of years, to try to figure out why are we here? And the overarching question. Why are we here? Who created us? What is consciousness? It's all very very fascinating. So anyway, back to the idea of the show. So I wanted to cover a couple of things from a, a sociological standpoint. I wanted to cover Ferguson. Uh, I wanted to cover the idea of uh, immigration. Yes, um, conservatives, you can you can all get a little bit upset, but then again, you also have to check yourself. So, And then um, liberals, you also have to, once again, get a little excited, but get a little bit upset because what we're doing – is uh, counterproductive on both ends. So, whether you believe in the, in the idea of uh, imaginary lines drawn by politicians uh, creates a society, or believe, you believe that a sociological or a social function or a group creates a society, those are two different things. And they cannot mutually coexist because those are counter, um, they are mutually, I guess, mutually exclusive ideas. So, they both can't exist at the same time. So if you have this idea that uh, open borders, that the world, um, that the Earth should be our planet and the Earth should be um, free travel, then you can't subscribe to the idea of imaginary lines and taxation uh, sponsored by politicians. That's just my opinion, actually. Once again, you can't really hold those two together because that becomes doublethink. Which I'm almost done with that book, and that's fascinating as well. I haven't read it a long time ago, but I'm rereading it now with all my expanded knowledge of uh, society and social norms and uh, social engineering, and really becoming to understand how all this stuff works. To an extent, you know, I, I used to think that I understood how the world works, and now the 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 more knowledge I gain, the more that I realize that um, my idea and my my, I guess, understanding of reality has shifted. So the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So that's, I guess, the end of what I was trying to say. So let's shift into this idea of Ferguson. Now, before we get into Ferguson, we have to cover the big R word. We have to cover racism. So does racism exist, Jake? Absolutely racism exists. Does it exist with a higher class of thinking? Absolutely it exists in a very, very elite class. Because they've written books about how they believe that the black man is a... um, Well, Margaret Sanger talks about him being weeds, and I don't think that that's a really great term for him. Um, If you're a eugenicist, um, Anglo-American establishment, um, I guess, frontman, then you will use social engineering in order to dumb down the lower excrements of society, or what you think are the lower excrements of society. And by utilizing a self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, these people are dumb, they're inhumane, they're not even human, they don't have um, intellects and they don't have uh, ideas and they don't have consciousness, then we can actually assimilate them, enslave them, or destroy them. So it's very very similar to an idea of an extreme Muslim where, you know, it's conversion, um, death, or enslavement. So It's the same kind of social construct. So these people are very, very psychopathic. And when they talk about the difference between the the Anglo male or the, well, we can even go down this road, the Aryan, so to speak, the fourth or the fifth cycle of humanity, then, oh, it's it's completely fine. So does racism exist in a roundabout way? Yes, it does exist. It exists at all levels. Uh, Class systems still exist whether it's a social class or a um, just an individual class uh, regarding um, society from a high school perspective. Classes still exist. So what do we do and how do we get around this? Well, I am going to venture a guess that um, the majority of my listeners are probably not racist. And I would say that the majority of people on the planet are not racist. So what happens? Well, the people that are—it's kind of—I um, would—I would draw a parallel to something like a tornado hitting um, Georgia, rural Georgia. They're not going to go and interview the college professor that teaches at the um, the local college to talk about his uh, description of the tornado coming through and destroying the, um, the destroying the town. They are going to find the dumbest person that they can ever find, and they're going to interview them. Why? Because it's entertainment. So now we have reached this idea in. In social media and in modern uh, society, that everything has to be entertainment. Everything has to be over the top, and so that's what we're getting now from racism and from uh, the feminists and sexism and 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 feminists, you, uh, the neo feminists. Man, I'm sorry, you guys are, you guys are on a different planet. And and you know, I understand and respect the idea of women's rights. I think it's. I think it's well warranted. Yes, you guys deserve a lot more, but if you look at how far you've come, you've come a long, long way. And if you look at the idea of us as middle and lower class against the super elite, we have come nowhere. So I'm going to, unfortunately, have to tell you guys to sit down for a minute, and can we please look at the real challenges in society? Whether it's pollution of our earth, which is actually happening. So even though I am a denier of uh, man-made global warming, or what climate change, or whatever they're calling it now, that, um, you know, I just need to see more evidence, and, you know, a bunch of people with phony degrees, uh, or phony, um, what is it, uh, phony titles that just got made up and just said, hey, you know what, you're a climatologist now, huh? And this general consensus of the ninety-five and percent—I've already debunked all that stuff—and talked about it, it was just two questions they asked them. So, just the idea and the and the, um, the social aspect of it is what makes me mad, because it becomes a religion, much like uh, feminism or much like racism. They all become like many religions in their own in their own sense. Because if you challenge anybody, whether it's a Christian or a Muslim, or if you challenge them on their religious beliefs, they get very, very offended because they have to protect their ego and they have to say, no, 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 that is what I know, that is what I know to be true, and this is correct, and so I have to defend it. It's the same thing with racism. It's the same thing with sexism. same thing with feminism. It's all there. There is a larger challenge at play. And the larger challenge is... We need to move away from violence and coercion. We need to move to an open idea of information. Sharing information. Hey, guess what? Government, even proprietary shit like what you guys do every year. Excuse my language, but millions. Millions of classified documents. Really. You need millions of them. I'm really not finding that to be um, warranted. I think the overarching idea is that if they keep everything secret and then they use the plausible deniability and then they put their front men out in front, then then larger agendas that would become socially... Um, let's see, what's a... Um, socially um, questioned is what uh, they, they want to avoid. They don't want to have society be in on... The ideas, the projects, the mind control, things like that, and yeah, you know what? Shame on you, Juice Media, for you know. Even though I don't, and I bash him on my show a little bit, or just kind of point out ideas to real libertarians. If you guys do tune into the show, and, and you're still trapped in the the Alex Jones uh, fanfare, that's entertainment as well. Now, granted, there's a lot of there's a lot of fact in his entertainment, but he's an entertainer as well. He's there to sell a product. He's there to, you know, kind of, quote-unquote, get the word out, wake people up. But once you get woken up, don't sit there in in dream state. Because that's what Alex Jones is. And I hate to say this to you guys. Alex Jones is the five minutes after you wake up. You know how every morning after you wake up, that five minutes where you're just kind of really unclear about, I mean, you're kind of in a dream and you're out of a dream and you're just kind of groggy? That's Alex Jones. Please don't sit there. Please read the books. Please read stuff. Expand your knowledge base. If you got an idea that, hey, holy crap, there might be an Anglo-American agenda here um, coinciding with a bunch of other agendas like a Russian agenda and a Chinese agenda and a, and a power play for the idea of global governance, then, yeah, start reading. Get to it. But don't sit there. Don't sit in REM. Don't sit in that um, twilight state. It's just not going to do us any good. Because at the end of the day, yes, it, most people would say, oh, it's about compromise. No, it's about facts. Truth is subjective to an extent because it depends on what kind of facts you have. So we need to get down to the facts. What are the facts? Well, there's a lot of facts out there, and I don't, know, I don't have time to get into it because I do want to talk about this Ferguson idea. So... The idea of yes, racism is a real thing. It's, in my perspective, uh, I don't know. I'd have to ask somebody from the black community because I don't want to speak for them. But um, I would say in the black community, it's um, it's probably the same percentage, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit less. But the idea of the classes and the clash of um, the two society or the two, the two different, um, you know, races, for lack of a better term. In this Ferguson incident is what, um, what makes it challenging. Because now what I'm seeing from people on social media and what I'm seeing from people, you know, that are actually at the rallies and people that are taking sides is that um, facts are being ignored now. So if you're talking about the case specifically, the case is starting to lend more towards the state. And everybody knows my feelings on the state. Do I think that the state should have a monopoly on force? Do I think that we should have these uh, police that are extremely aggressive? No, I don't believe any of this stuff. I believe that the government police force is a racket in and of itself, and I think that it will be abolished in the next 50 years because of how dangerous it is. Because there's no accountability. You remember we used to have a um, uh, civil review board and stuff like that? Those things are all gone. And it's all internal investigations now. And it's like, oh, he's been, he's been suspended with pay and all these crazy things. So it creates a gang. And it creates a brotherhood. And it create, I understand all that. So that's why it's dangerous. Much like the military is dangerous. And our founders knew this stuff. So you know, people like Patrick Henry knew all this stuff. So I I go back to him because his biography uh, is is so fascinating that uh, I would push anybody to read it. It's not very long either. So Ferguson, here we go. So the latest evidence is showing that the police officer or the um, the the gentleman in a uniform has been deputized by the state to protect you um, acted quote unquote reasonably and did so in accordance with I guess the engagement process that's already been started or the engagement policy of the police department. So that's going to make some people mad. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we do have a guy whose life is taken. But in Ferguson it's a larger issue than that. There's only two white guy, or there's only two black guys on the police force, and the police force is very big and it's a very predominantly black piece of um of Missouri, it just is, so it doesn 't really set up well. I mean it sets up well if you 're a social engineer and you 'd like to have a conflict and and have some kind of uh, an excuse to to run um, psychological operations on the public like what 's about to happen so that that for them is a big win and You know, And I think that we all need to kind of put our big boy pants on and our big girl pants and realize that there are social engineers out there that are utilizing um, mass media and propaganda in order to get you to think a certain way and also to get you to um, incite violence. Because if you incite violence, then the state gets to come in and be the referee and grab more power and control, and that's typically what uh, authoritarians want. And most people... That are in our society now are uh, closet authoritarians, and I hate to say that, guys, because the idea that that freedom would provoke something like this is a possibility. But then again, conflict resolution without um, without having the state as a referee would be would be significantly different. So the verdict is supposed to come out on Monday. Switching back to Ferguson, sorry I keep going on tangents, but um, I hope you guys can follow. Switching back to Ferguson, we're looking at this idea that now people are going to riot either way, pretty much. So, what are we going to do? Well, I know what the government's going to do. Hey, we're going to send in provocateurs, and we're going to send agents in, and we're going to really try to stir this thing up. So, if anybody that lives in Ferguson, or near Ferguson that happens to listen to the show and I hope that there's some libertarians out there some little L libertarians not the big L ones that want to go out and vote and, and vote for being enslaved and all this stuff and try to change the system through politics I think it's a moot point at this point it's just so far Um, past freedom that we um, we're gonna have to do something different and not talking about violence feds we're not talking about violence we're talking about peaceful understanding that violence and coercion are not the best ways to get what you want and if we do want to have a society that goes to space we probably should start there and we probably should start thinking about money a little bit differently too what is money what is wealth we should start thinking about those differently Because at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're trading digital ones and zeros. You're not even trading real money. It's not real. It's all fake. So so now, the FBI, back to Ferguson. This is happy fun time. And this is out of ABC News. Uh, The FBI sends 100 agents to Ferguson ahead of the grand jury decision. Oh, isn't that nice? But before we go there, let's talk about what happened Yesterday. So why are they sending agents in? Oh, that's right. Terrorism. So, for those of you that don't know, terrorism in America has been the pejorative for basically anything regarding the police state or anything that the government can use to grab power or anything that can make you sit down, shut up, and understand that you need to be protected and and, um, and coddled by the state. Because the state is here for you. So, this is coming out of Reuters. And this was published on Saturday. And I will post all this stuff with the show notes tonight, guys. So, don't you worry. And uh, I do apologize for being kind of slack on the podcast. I had a lot of personal stuff going on. And I just haven't had time to update. So, there you go. So, all apologies out of the way. FBI arrests would be, two would-be Ferguson bombing suspects. Hmm. This sounds like the same old stuff, but that's okay. Hey, don't worry about it. The government is here to protect you. They're here to love you, and I'll get into why I say that stuff later. Okay, the two men suspected of buying ex- suspected of buying explosive and planned to detonate them during the protest. Once a grand jury decides the Michael Brown case were arrested on Friday and charged with felony firearms offenses, a, a law enforcement official told Reuters. I'm gonna break this whole article down later. So word of the arrests reported by a number of media outlets Friday came ahead of the grand jury's widely anticipated decision on whether the white police officer who fatally shot Brown, an unarmed black teenager, should be indicted on criminal charges. August 9th, the slaying of blah, 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 blah. And we're going to skip all this stuff. Against the backdrop of heightened tensions, according to law enforcement sources, according, well, those guys never lie, two men described as um, as reputed members of a militant group called the New Black Panther Party were arrested in St. Louis area in an FBI sting operation. Hmm. And for those of you that are playing the home game, what is the significance of the Black Panther Party and the FBI if you go back to the nineteen seventies? Ah, don't look at that. Don't do it. No, oh, come on, man. Come on, the government wouldn't provocateur anybody. No, oh, no, they're just they are just standing around. As initially reported by CBS News, the men were suspected of acquiring explosives for pipe bombs and planned to set them off during the protest at Ferguson, according to the official who spoke to Reuters on the condition of anonymity. Anonymity, because he was not authorized to publicly discuss the case. The official said the two men, and a pair, in named, newly unsealed federal indictment returned on November nineteenth, charging Orlando or Brandon Orlando Baldwin and. Um, Olajuwon Davis with purchasing two pistols from a firearm dealer under false pretenses. Hmm. Doesn't say anything in there about the uh, explosive stuff. Hmm. Two men were arraigned on Friday in federal court, and the law enforcement officer said. The FBI and other federal agencies were reported to have stepped up their presence in St. Louis in recent days in anticipation of renewed protest in the grand jury's decision in the Michael Brown case made known. An FBI official, well, yes, an official of the FBI, that's a good deal, in St. Louis declined for comment except to say the two men were named and indicted of the arrest. Officials from the state attorney's office for Eastern Missouri were not immediately available for comment. So... Would you like to hear an alternative for what this could be? Okay, so the new Black Panther Party, I do respect the idea of the old Black Panther Party, and I do respect people like um, Larry Pinkney and um, people that really did try for change and basically just arm themselves because, hey... If the state's going to sit there with guns and the KKK is going to sit there with guns, you might as well arm yourself and be protective of yourself and never use it in an aggressive manner because, hey, that's what liberty is all about. And they were pretty smart on the libertarian front. Now, what happened later on in the Black Panther Party, was the FBI started to inject their operatives in there. And I think that Larry Pinckney's idea was, or his, um, his number at the end of his, um, I guess, his uh, stint with the Black Panther Party said that there was about an 80 to 85 percent of the people that were involved in the party were feds. So you have to get over this idea that the FBI sits back and does things. You have to get over this idea that the CIA sits back and does things. They just sit back and wait for things to happen. It's not really how it happens. If you read um, Aronson's book, um, The Manufactured War on Terror, it goes over that 95% of all of the different terror attacks, this is why I always question when the FBI comes out and says they busted someone, and I'll also link to the, uh, the New York Times article that says like, the, same, the same kind of numbers that 80% of the terrorists that, that we ever catch are basically government uh, provocateurs. Which I'm not saying that these people are, but hey, please, please keep that in mind of the realm of possibility because hey, just going by, you know, past experiences, I would say that that would be my first inclination rather than a couple of lone wolves. Now, there are some nutbags out there and some, yes, some people in the black new Black Panther Party are a little bit on the racist side as we talked about before. But you know what? I can understand your perspective if you have uh, spent an entire life getting your uh, ass kicked by the cops and being socially repressed and being just um, you know pulled over while driving by black, I can totally understand your perspective, but then again, we have to overcome this idea that uh, singing to the lowest common denominator of the state is going to change anything. It will not change anything. all it will do is give us more state, more control and more social engineering, which all we have to do is break with and say that we don't need this stuff anymore and just kind of be done with it. But it's too much fun. Like a Jerry Springer talk show, it is too much fun to get wrapped up in the idea of racism and all these other little cliques that they like to play us off against each other. And once you have um, gotten past all that stuff, then, hey, then we move forward as a society, as humanity. Woohoo, Team Humanity! Okay. Uh, so now back to the FBI... Oh, um, so at the end of the day, do we know if these guys are provocateurs or real? We don't know. But I would say that um, keep it in the back of your mind because if you look at what's happening next, uh, in the article it says that uh, the grand jury or FBI sends 100 agents to Ferguson, and this was um, uh, on Friday 100 agents to Ferguson ahead of the grand jury decision. Oh, goody. So, excuse me. The FBI has sent a hundred agents to St. Louis to help deal with the problems that could arise from the grand jury decisions of the public or police shooting in Ferguson and Michael Brown. Um, yes, so if there's a hundred agents in there, you best believe that there's going to be um, some kind of funny business going on. So this is why Ferguson scares me, and the people uh, that listen to my show, if you if you know people that are in Ferguson. Um, Get this info out to them. Come on, man. Watch out for the agent provocateurs. If you see somebody that you don't know and they're talking about doing violent stuff and you guys don't want violence, say, hey, you must be a Fed. You know, turn it on them. Now, I told you guys. I've run into Feds before at the uh, in the Fed rally and stuff like that, and um, they're pretty easy to spot. They're just going to be extremely aggressive with you about talking about um, being uh, being violent or all the laws that they've broken. You know, unprovoked, they just start talking about laws that they've broken and how they're, you know, out to get the state and all this other kind of crap. So, anybody that tells you they're out to get the state in not a peaceful manner and they don't want peaceful resolution, and then you're probably looking at a Fed, or at least just distance yourself from them. It's not going to do you any good. Nothing, that's, that's nothing worth uh, spending your time on. So, continuing, in addition to the FBI, the federal agencies has also mobilized staffers on St. Louis Today, sources tell ABC News. The decision of the grand jury is expected soon, and the St. Louis authorities said today that the grand jury will still be meeting. The panel will decide whether or not to indict Ferguson police officer, blah, 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 blah. We already know all this stuff. Okay. The FBI has ordered Ferguson... Excuse me. Consentment to mobilize and arrive in St. Louis area today, in addition to the FBI personnel already in the St. Louis area. Oh, goody. They've already got agents there. How nice. About 100 more are being dispatched. Well, see, this is a ridiculous buildup for something that, I mean, if they do incite violence, then shame on you protesters, because I understand the police state, but if you do want to make this about the militarization of police and everything, you got to have a better tactic than what, than violence. Violence is not a tactic. That's a cop-out. Addition to the FBI person, I mean, just look at Occupy. Occupy was a tactic, and I mean, it got a lot of attention. Granted, I don't agree with a lot of the things that they were protesting, and I don't agree with the people that funded it and started it, but the passion was right, and the idea was correct. So, not going to fault you for that, the idea was good. Just um, directed a little bit higher, guys, not just the banks. A little bit higher. Aim your, aim your, um, aim your sights a little bit higher, and then we'll figure it out. Additionally, the FBI personnel have been put on alert so that they could be called in as part of a secondary emergency wave, if necessary. What do they think is going to happen here? This is odd. Now, of course, this does come on the back of this uh, guy in Ferguson saying that if you don't have a gun, you better go get one now because uh, stuff's getting really, really, really out of control. Or people are buying guns. So, Oh, and the FBI declined to comment. That's the next thing. So, yeah, and they've declared a state of emergency and all that stuff. So, anyway. So what's going to happen with this? Gosh, I hope that um, I hope that we can really get to a point where socially we can incite change without the the threat of violence. But you're always going to have the repressed masses or the quote unquote unwashed masses, as the elite like to call them, um, getting riled up and not being able to control themselves. Uh, because yeah, we are in a um, quasi depression. So. I understand times are getting tough, but um, this is where we have to evolve, not devolve. So, if we can share that message with the people in Ferguson, please do. Because this is not the time to incite violence and to give the state the idea to roll out those sound cannons and all kinds of other high-tech... Um, whatever. Anti-protest. They always call it like... Like, protesting's bad. It's so ridiculous. Anyway... So now moving on, uh, shifting away from Ferguson. Um, please be careful out there, everybody. If you are there, um, pray for peace out there. And if you see a provocateur, call them out like they did at the G20 in Seattle. And uh, I'll link to that video as well. So I'm going to take a note to write that in there. Yeah, so they caught the provocateurs and basically shunned them. So that's what you do. You you catch the provocateurs, you call them out, you shun them, you put them on camera. Mainstream media is not going to cover it, but mainstream media is not even really there anymore, so who cares? You know, CNN's not really there anymore. They're getting dropped by a dish network. You know, Fox News is kind of still out there spatting um, conservative um, faux libertarian rhetoric. So there you go. There's nothing really there anymore, everybody. We're going to get to a point where um, the idea of the collective consciousness is going to surpass all those goobers. So, not really, not really worried about it. So, the next one comes from the Wall Street Journal. And this is the um, shocker of the week. Automation makes us dumb. Human intelligence is withering as computers do more, but there is a solution. So, let's read this article by Nicholas Carr together actually it is um, a little bit lengthy so I'm just going to read bits and pieces of it because the idea is um, the idea is pretty good So we're going to skip artificial intelligence and all that stuff, okay? So it has been a slow process. The first wave of automation has rolled through the U.S. industry after World War II when manufacturers began installing uh, controlled equipment in their plants. The new machines and manufacturers made it blah, 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 blah. Then in the 1950s, Harvard Business School, um, James Bright went into the field of study of automation and various industries, manufacturing, such as factory conditions. He decided that things um, things were anything but uplifting. More often than not, the new machines were leaving the workers with drammer or less demanding jobs. The automation of um, machine milling, for example, didn't transfer to the metal worker into a more creative artisan until it, was, until it in turn pushed him into um, basically a button pusher. Bright then concluded that uh, an overriding effect of automation, in the jargon of lame economists, the de-skilled worker rather than the upskilled them. Uh, lessons lesson should be increasingly clear, he wrote back in wrote back in 1966. Highly complex equipment did not require skilled operators, and the skill would be built into the machines, which is kind of the idea. And I'll get into and in a little bit expand on this topic here in a minute. We're learning that lesson again today on a much broader scale. As software has become more capable of analysis and decision-making, automation has leapt leapt out of the factory and into the white-collar worlds. Computers are taking over the kinds of knowledge and hard work and considering a preserved, well-educated, well-trained professionals. Pilots rely on computers to fly planes, doctors consult with them to diagnose ailments, and architects use them to design buildings. And we're gonna skip it. Uh, yeah, computers aren't uh, taking away all the jobs by talented people, but computers are challenging the way that work gets done. The evidence is mounting that the same deskilled effect um, that ate into the talents of the factory workers in the last century is starting to gnaw away at the professional skills and highly specialized ones. Today's machine operators are yesterday's machine operators are today's computer operators. Just look skyward. Since the invention a century ago, autopilots have helped make air travel trace air travel safer and more efficient. A happy trend continues to be computerized fly-by-wire jets of the 1970s. But now, aviation experts worry how far we've gone. My dad talked about this, so I'll I'll expand on this a little bit more. We have shifted from the cockpit of being task of humans to computers and pilots that lose their edge and begin to exhibit what the British aviation researcher called as skill fade. Okay, so... Kind of taking that, uh, taking that point and running with it a little bit. My father was a pilot for 32 years, and toward the twilight of his career, we talked about um, flying planes. And he said that the majority of time, um, takeoff is usually done by the human, uh, landing is usually done by the computer, and everything in between from 10 minutes after takeoff is usually done by the computer. Sometimes it's all computerized, and you're just sitting there watching uh, and and basically checking to see if anything happens. But the thing that he talked about was if you run into rough weather or something like that, then the human idea of correction is probably a little bit better than the automated idea of correction. So uh, the human being will actually have to take control in rough weather or control in uh, higher turbulence. So the idea of skill fade in a plane is very, very scary because the majority of the time these people don't even land the planes themselves. So they're getting all these flying hours. Oh, I've got so many flying hours. But they haven't even really done any real flying. And so that's why they typically will go and when, um, when pilots retire or uh, on the weekends when they're not um, flying a commercial jet or when they have some time off, will go and fly uh, prop planes or just um, little um, puddle hoppers in order to, to get their skills back. So it's a, it's a trend in the industry, and it's very interesting to see the Forbes article bringing or the Wall Street Journal bringing this kind of up. And it uh, goes on to talk about planes more and more and more here um so let's skip ahead uh 10 years ago informational scientists at unrick university in the netherlands had a group of people carry out a complicated analysis and planning their task in each rudimentary software that provided no assistance or sophisticated software that offered a great deal of aid the researchers found that the people using a simple software developed better strategies made fewer mistakes and developed a deeper aptitude For the work. The people using the more advanced software, meanwhile, would aimlessly click around and confronted with a tricky problem, and the supposedly helpful software actually short-circuited their thinking and learning. So, yeah, and I'll post this article. You guys can read the rest of it. It's very fascinating. So what does this all mean? Well, with the invention of the Internet, um, we have the double-edged sword as per usual, as I like to say, as per usual in the universe – So there is always some good with some bad. So we have the double-edged sword of the Internet. You can find uh, a vast quantum of information out there that will be able to provide anything from uh, cooking recipes to uh, conspiracies of aliens in deep holes that are going to come out in 25 days to destroy the Earth. Now, which one of those is factual? That's uh, another thing. So we have all of this information at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips, and now we have to figure out where is the line? What is the line? So it's the singularity argument. Do we com- continue to automate um, these robots or these computers in order to make our lives easier? Well, that b- runs into another challenge. Say that we do, do that and we have all of these robots that are doing all of our skills and we turn into like a WALL-E society. What do we do with 7 billion people... That have no work to really do. It's a very interesting question. So what do we do? Well, if you judge by the trends of the American public, you will do basically what most lazy people do. And sit around, uh, eat crappy food, and do nothing but entertain yourself. So that's a question. Now Bill Joy wrote about this back in the 1990s, and I'll repost that as well. Because futurists, transhumanists, whatever you want to call them, see the singularity coming. So the exponential curve of technology is coming. And what I mean by that is if you look at the way that um, technology changes, it is not linear, it's on an exponential function. So as we progress in this society with uh, computers, automation, um, microchips, uh, uh, con- conductors, all of these these great things, you're going to have um, an extreme... Increase And it's going to increase very rapidly. So the idea that we need to keep our humanity is what this article is basically saying. The idea that we need to keep our humanity intact should be a large variable in that equation. But what's happening is that you have people like Ray Kurzweil and people that are um, at the the top ranks of Google and other firms that are really pushing for the transhumanism agenda of that um, we can use all these things for the betterment of humanity. And we typically know how that works out When um, we have something like the idea of um, Nuclear fusion Now that's great Oh wow we can blow people up with it too That's awesome So it's the it's the double edged sword of the universe We have to Put ourselves in a position to understand That if You decide that you want to create A, a new sentient being And call them a robot Or a, um android Or cyborg or whatever you want to call it understand that that is a path that we can go down is it the path that we would prefer we have to have that debate but it seems like the debate is already being had because the com- because the public is typically unplugged from all of these debates the scientific white papers and things of that nature they don't really care they just say "Ooh, wow look a new shiny object new shiny toy and unfortunately that is what you've been conditioned Since you were um, indoctrinated into state-run education. It is not about critical thinking anymore. It is about answering the question. It is about creating a workforce full of slaves. Mind slaves, to be precise. That will not think on their own. That will not be adventurous. That will not go out and do what they explore. Or go out and try to trailblaze. They won't do that. Because it's not comfortable. Because everything was so boxed up from the time that you were a little kid to the time you get out of college. That's why you see these kids when they get out of college. Does the college find me a job? Where do I do? How do I do all this stuff? You haven't been taught critical thinking, and you haven't been taught real-life skills. So unfortunately, you're stuck. And yes, I hate to say this, and call me a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, because I actually read documents that really, really smart social engineers wrote long, 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 long time ago. Not too long, less than 100 years ago. I talked about doing this to you. And I talked about this being the way that humanity would progress. For them, not for you. Understand. It is a progression of the elitist class. It's the progression of the Superman, or the, the, um, the Aryan, so to speak. So, whether you believe in the, um, the idea of uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky's Superman... You know, a, a sentient being that is uh, to take the next step in human evolution, whether you believe that, or you believe the Ray Kurzweils of the world that want to fill us with nanotech and say, hey, we can uh, we can solve all the illnesses of the world and cure all this stuff, and yeah, don't worry about the side effects. Don't worry about what we're doing to the universe. Don't worry about, is this the path of humanity? And I hate to say this, but I think that those people that want that are going to try it anyway. So whether it happens out in the public, or whether it happens behind the scenes under some black budget, you know, um, secret um, DARPA program, we won't know. But you do have to be ready and psychologically prepared to have the debate. Because it is. It's the death of humanity. So what do we do? Make super machines that are extremely, extremely um, intelligent? And we get dumb? Or, what do we do? What Once again, circling back to the question I posed at the beginning of the show. What's our purpose for being here? Why are we here? What do we do? Is our purpose here to build the robots so that they can colonize space and report back to us? Is our purpose to merge with the robots to create a... A um, an, a never dying consciousness, or a interactive um, uh, let's see, it's a good word, an interactive time capsule for the human experience. I don't know. I've read a lot of books, and I don't know. Not saying that that's going to tell me everything, but whether it's philosophy, religion, psychopaths writing about social engineering, whatever, I still don't know. So, the last article I wanted to touch on today is kind of a a piggybacking on what we just discussed. This comes out of CBS New York, and this was published on the 21st. And once again, I'll republish all these things for you guys. Because I think it's important to document what I'm talking about. And um, keep in mind that every time you read something, there is a slant to it. And watch the word games. So use your grammar, logic, and rhetoric as you read through these things. And maybe we can... um, Start to change the way that um, we perceive information and change the way others perceive information, too. And have a real debate, not the uh, phony emotional debate that you're conditioned to have through, um, uh, through your public schooling. Because that's what it is. It conditions you to be an emotional creature rather than a um, thought-provoking, sentient being. So, can't have a bunch of those running around because then they would actually figure out what's going on. Alright, so here we go. Dr. Max Gomez. Smartphones, tablets, and laptops could cause digital vision syndrome. Interesting. So we're going to breeze through this article, and it's pretty short, and then we're going to wrap the show for today. And, of course, as I go to read the article, my screen refreshes. So... Be sure to tune in next week, guys. I will have another blog post or whatever you want to call it. posted next week as well. And I'm going to be doing some recording uh, later on this evening or this afternoon with uh, our good friend Rick Stragenborg. As you guys well know, Rick has been on the show before. Uh, We've actually done a couple of videos uh, on the side. We're going to do a couple more today uh, liberalism versus conservatism. I'm sure we'll get into a lot of different aspects there. And um, so look for those to be posted on the We Are Not Cattle YouTube channel here sometime soon. And uh, yeah, I will be producing more and more content because uh, things have started to, um, I guess, get a little bit more stabilized for me uh, with everything going on in my world. So here is the article. Did your mom ever tell you that sitting too close to the TV would ruin your eyes? Well, today more kids are more kids than ever are nearsighted. In a CBS twos, Max Gomez explains, it's called computer vision syndrome, or more accurately, digital digitally digital vision syndrome. Because it isn't just computers it's not it's caused by smartphones, tablets, laptops, and hours upon hours of screen time that kids are putting in. Kids sometimes complain of double vision, headaches, eye strain, and Using their eyes too much up close, there's a lot of strain in the visual system, says uh, Dr. Erica Schillman of uh, sunny College of Optometry and excuse me I had a pop up and Brianna Hernandez is one of those kids, like the youngsters she does everything on her phone usually when I'm on my phone, I put up my put my phone close and right up to my eyesight and get or it would be blurry said at all and um it's all the time and if I let it and if I let her it'd be all through the night, said her mom. It's partly in print and graphics are so small to require close up vision, but studies are showing that all of us, kids, adults, don't blink completely when uh, looking into digital devices, which means the eyes dry out. Yeah, I experience that when I play Xbox, so there you go. The, issues, um, the big issue is that kids don't give their eyes a break, and they don't let them get up close and, f- and focus, and the experts remain unsure of how what the long-term consequences will be. Huh, I will tell you what they will be, <laughs> but don't worry about that. Everything's fine. We really don't know what the long-term consequences are. Kids are still growing and still developing and graining, and so there is a greater risk for them, uh, said the optometrist. So um, we have... Something called the 202020 rule, recommended every 20 people should uh, look at something for at least 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds. That's a pretty good idea. So now, let's talk about this article really quick. And that was kind of small. So, let's talk about it. Once again, this is, the, this is the shift into a different reality frame, I guess? Or not even a reality frame. I guess it's a, a different uh, societal norm. So, you see this when you walk by people. People are always um, reading on their phone. They're always looking at their computer. always doing something on their phone. So, what is this going to create? Well, it's going to create an issue of... Do we start to make screens that are a little bit better for our eyes? Do we change the way that we behave? Do we change what we do in life on our phones? In our computer screens and what have you? So... This will cause, hopefully, a debate, because what will happen in about 15 years, as these people start getting older, and as we all start getting older, and start utilizing our tablets and our smartphones and our computers more and more often, because it is going to be a very, very easy form of communication, and hey, you've got a Megatron computer that sits right in your pocket most of the time, and you call it a phone. So is this technology going away? Absolutely not. Do I think it should go away? No. I think it's very empowering. I think we should also understand what it's used for from a nefarious point of view to track and trace you and to understand everything about your psychological profile and put you in a database so that you can be data mined and target marketed and all of these good things. I think that the marketing companies should go back to what happened in the old school where you would actually have to come up with catchy slogans and and other things in order to mass market a society rather than, you know, cherry picking what you want to put into somebody's um, laptop as they go through their browser on um, some CBS channel and say, oh, you know, you've searched blah, 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 blah. Let's market you for that. That's not really marketing. That's manipulation. So that's controlling the way that you purchase, controlling what you do in your life and once again being a, a real libertarian and a, a real idealist. I think that you shouldn't be manipulated. Once again, I've told this story many times. I've got, a, um, I, I've got a degree in marketing, but I chose never to use it because what I found out marketing was was a um, just a fancy way to say you're going to manipulate somebody because you're making them do something or buy something that they may not have wanted to buy. They were maybe on the fence, and if you gave them that little nudge, is it really a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, it's a moral debate, I guess. And then some people would say, well, you need to be more hip to the propaganda and you need to be able to understand, well, some of the target marketing is pretty powerful, especially now in modern times. They're getting very, very sleek about what they do. And, yes, um, they use uh, lots of pictures of of pretty girls in bikinis because, you know, that's going to get 80% of men's attention. So there you go. So what do we do with this new digital age that we're going to come into to wrap up the show? The singularity is upon us and it is going to come blazing down the path. And guess what? The media is not going to tell you about it because they have to control and steer the idea of what they would like for the singularity to be. Because it's all for your protection, remember? It's all for for you because you just can't handle it. That's why the government classifies all these documents. Because they think that you're so silly that you can't even handle this stuff. Because a lot of it doesn't even need to be classified. You listen to some of these people. Like the, um, A great example is the classified pages of the 9-11 report. Anybody that's read that understands that, hey, this is not a national security issue. This will just make uh, President George Bush and his whole entire staff look stupid. That's what they're saying, at least. I don't know what's in there. I, I can assume that um, what's going to be in there is something regarding, the, uh, regarding most of these supposed hijackers being Saudi Arabian and most of them being funded by Saudi Arabia, trained at Air Force bases so uh, in America. So, yeah, it's just going to make them look bad, I guess. And for the government, that's a big no-no. As you saw with this Ebola stuff that magically Ebola just kind of went away. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how Ebola just kind of goes away and we just ah it's it's gone it's just gone that's what happened you come to come to America Ebola and get you some America we we'll shoot you with some guns and put it on CNN and blow stuff up so so the singularity what do we do I think we should have a debate and I think we should have a a very open source debate. Pushing from people from the digital corner for the open source of technology more and more. Just push everything out into open source. Because then if we can create a new idea and a new way to live through open source technology, through open communication with other human beings, maybe we can leave these ideas of war and famine and, and social engineering behind. And that's why you see all the media line up for anything that's, um, that's pure freedom, for anything like an open, open marketplace or anything like a, a holy cow, a, a transparent society. No, you can't do that because then the terrorists would find out and, and they'll come and – no, that's not what it is. It's the protection of their job. It's the protection of the, the money changers. It's the protection of the people at the top that are going to lose their money. And guess what, guys? You're going to lose your money anyway. So eventually, this is going to happen. The question is, how do you want it to occur? Do you want to get off your high horse that you've been up there for a couple hundred years, some of you almost a thousand years, with all of your money and your handed down wealth and all this crap? Or do you want to be part of Team Humanity? Do you want to colonize space? I know what you want. You think that you're going to colonize space on your own with a a little subgroup of humanity and basically leave us all here to rot. Or you can reverse it and do like the Gundam style, like what Josh talks about, where you can shoot all of us up and into, into space and then you guys all live on Earth. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it needs to be a debate that we have, people. And we also need to approach it, once again, with the understanding that most technologies or most anything that we invent as human beings can be used as a double-edged sword. So we need to weigh out both the pros and the cons of each side, make an informed decision... And then once we have the decision, we need to open up the research, the information to the public, and make sure that we do have consistent and regular evaluations of the technology, evaluations of the code, to make sure that there is nothing nefarious in there so that we can all progress as humans to colonize space, to colonize the universe, like what I believe that we were put here to do. So that's it for the show, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, get involved. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast with people you know, people you love, people you like, and pray for peace in Ferguson, and uh, let's hope that we can get some good attention brought uh, on this idea of the militarization of police, and that the state needs to be your daddy to protect you from yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.